Welcome to the Holistic Business Podcast, where healers, makers, mystics, and other weirdos who don't quite fit the mold learn how to grow businesses that sustain them and their communities without working all the damn time or feeling like they're selling out. I'm your host, Sarah M. Chapel, and as the founder of the Holistic Business Academy, I've helped thousands of small business owners just like you to grow supportive, holistic businesses. Now, it's your turn. The vast majority of a time when a healer, mystic, coach, or online teacher says to me that they're having a hard time getting people to buy a certain online educational mentorship or coaching offer, they actually don't have any idea why people should buy that offer. The outcome is not clear. Why this offer is the best choice to get that outcome is not clear. The founder, the creator cannot say with confidence what transformation they are helping to facilitate and why the offer they have created will help their customers to achieve it. I think there are a lot of reasons for this confusion amongst business owners. But a primary one is a tendency to focus on the trappings of an offer, the features, the business model itself first, instead of considering the why of the offer, what it makes possible for a customer, and then figuring out if a particular kind of offer is best. If we do not know the outcome that we are trying to facilitate with a course, with a coaching program, with any transformational experience, we don't know the transformation, then it will be impossible to match that to an appropriate offer type. Courses do not facilitate the same outcomes as one-off private sessions or as memberships or as group coaching or as a book or a digital download. Each of these types of offers are best suited to different kinds of outcomes for people at different stages of development in whatever it is that you do. Let's use an example and say that you teach people how to knit. You're a knitting coach or something. (laughs) Maybe you dye yarn and sell it, uh, but want to expand your reach and add a scalable education offer. You know you can help people do what you do and enjoy it. So you're going to teach knitting. Teaching knitting is actually super vague, right? It could mean anything from how to cast on and do knit stitches and cast off. That's really all that's needed to be able to say, I can knit. Or it could be how to make complex garments or even how to design your own. I've had clients that taught basic design for a single type of product, like a shawl, a professional level tech editing designed to help people do that like as a job, um, or even how to run a pattern selling business. All of these can be done under the guise of teaching knitting. So we need to ask, what specifically should your student be able to accomplish by learning from you? Is it to knit a scarf, design a sweater, adjust a pattern for their body shape, knit in the round, be able to read and use a Japanese pattern, all of these? That outcome, the thing that a student who follows all the steps and does a full program should be able to achieve, that is the number one thing you need to know in order to choose what kind of educational offer is required and then to design it. You can learn a lot from a book, but like knitting in particular shows us, for many folks, a pattern alone, or even like the Vogue Knitting Bible, is not enough for them to learn. Knitting is tactile, physical, and hard to explain in words. The words are metaphor of the action itself. This is why yarn stores have often been such crucial connection points, helping buyers to troubleshoot patterns and offering classes. This is also why I've had so many knitting and fiber arts clients. The process lends itself to more in-depth and active education than just a book. 
This is in contrast to some of the things that can be learned well from a book, though adventure learning most things still does require interaction, connection, and feedback to develop and apply what is learned. Project management, for example, can very easily be explained in a book. It is step-by-step, step, it is clearly delineated, and those methods are designed to be absorbable in text. They're often text-based methods. It, it makes sense. But even then, you still have to put it into action, right? If someone has read a book about project management, are they a project manager? Not necessarily. Implementation is key. So this is why the goal, the outcome of the offer, is so critical. Is it to share information? Is it to help students get a specific outcome? Is it to develop a measurable skill? We have to decide what the outcome is in order to create the offer that can facilitate it. Well, matching your outcome to a specific type of educational offer can be a bit of an art. There are some guidelines that you can use, a kind of a decision tree, if you will. Some questions. So the first question I would ask is, is there a clear conclusion to the learning process? By this, I mean, is there a binary yes, no, the student knows this thing or has done the thing that you're teaching? For the knitting example, some things are a big yes, right? Did they knit a scarf? <laughs> some are more murky. Do they have a successful pattern selling business? I mean, what even is success? What does that mean? <laughs> In my own business, one of the more clear transformations we've ever focused on was through my launch incubator program, which was designed to take a client from idea to launch in 90 days. It's a super clear boundary of time and result. They either launched or they didn't. If there is a yes, no to the result, if you can break it down into something that specific, then a time bound program like a live cohort course or a group coaching program might be a really good fit. The second question we want to ask is, is this something that can be learned in a book? If so, then a digital download, an ebook, or a self-study course may do the trick. I do believe that the online education space has been overly reliant on self-study courses, completion rates are chronically low, and they don't provide any way for students to get their question answered or have support in applying the information in a way that actually impacts their lives. I feel like what these courses do and the fact that so many people who teach online education to creators and coaches and healers and makers it creates the illusion that you can have an online course that you can basically be a teacher without actually teaching, right? Without taking responsibility for helping people to achieve outcomes. Um, so if the material you're, you're teaching could actually be learned from a book, then a self-study course might be a good fit. The third question I would ask is, is this something where people need ongoing support? As I mentioned earlier, we can easily imagine programs that have a clear ending, like learning to knit a scarf or to do a live launch. There is a discrete moment where the student can say, yes, I have done this thing. But a lot of learning is not discrete and does not have binary results that can be measured. If the transformation that you're helping people to achieve is ongoing, then your program will benefit from being ongoing as well. This is where memberships and other subscription-based models thrive. If you're teaching people to develop psychic skills, for example, or to grow a pattern business or to play guitar, then there is no clear end point when their journey is done. You don't just learn one song on the guitar and then say, I have it. I am a guitarist, right? It's an ongoing process that spirals to deeper and deeper levels of mastery over time. These are the kinds of transformations where giving customers the opportunity to pay ongoing fees for ongoing access to support, education, and community is the most beneficial model. So let's take a closer look at these educational offer types, what they entail, and a couple of their challenges. So let's start looking again at cohort-based courses and coaching. 
cohort-based courses. See, I stumble every time I say that. And to be fair, I really hate this term um, because it's just traditional classroom education rebranded by Techland and Silicon Valley. It's all marketing calling them cohort-based courses, and I can't even say it. Um, Anyway, and coaching programs where groups come together for a live learning experience for a set period of time, right? That's what that means. It is usually has live components. It's for a set period of time. People start and end together. These programs have become extremely popular because, frankly, they increase student success, they create stronger community and networking opportunities, they can command a much higher price uh, due to the increased access and feedback from instructors. I would also put live workshops into this category, though I could definitely make a case for them being their own thing. Um, But for today's purposes, that's what they'll live here, right? And I would think of a workshop as being a very short-term version of a cohort, so one evening, a weekend, that kind of thing. These programs are ideal when there is, as I stated earlier, a set outcome that can be finished in a set period of time. The clear container can, when used properly, create an inertia-busting time pressure to help students take action, and they are often able to move faster than they would on their own because of seeing other folks in the cohort take action as well. Additionally, these programs usually have robust live components that create accountability and make it easy to get feedback and support. Think live coaching or Q&A calls, co-working, showcases of what people are working on, and more. Some of my favorite programs I've ever run and been in have been cohorts and workshops, and our current membership accelerator program, and also, to be honest, our, our HBA membership, are designed with this in mind, but coupled with a membership mindset, which we'll talk about later. So what about self-study courses and digital products? I'm going to be honest, I don't generally recommend making a self-study course, I'd say at all. I really think that we are kind of on the, the I think the tail end of that is, is already sailing, that students are, are really wary of these programs. They often under-deliver, and I just don't think that they're very financially feasible for people who have audiences that are not ginormous. I also don't generally recommend making a self-study course, which is generally fully pre-recorded, right? We're talking about something that is pre-recorded where it like lives on the internet. You don't touch it. People just buy it and use it. I don't recommend doing this until you've taught the material live a few times. The act of teaching it live in a cohort class or group coaching program will greatly clarify what you are teaching and expose to you the breadth of questions that your students might have. But if you're fairly confident that your system, framework, or way of teaching this material is honed and can be codified into something static, then a self-study course can work. Um, The other consideration with a self-study course is how long students get access. I have changed my mind here over the years and no longer offer lifetime access to anything. It prevents me from being properly compensated when I make updates to a program, and it encourages students to put off learning. This is where you get this whole idea of people buying online courses and they're just sitting on the shelf. For a self-study course, I would probably still have a limited time access and then an option to renew access at a lower rate if students needed more time. Um, To be honest, again, I probably wouldn't make one, um, except in a handful of very specific situations, which I'll talk about in a second. Um, If I were going to do lifetime access, what I would recommend at this point is making the course fully downloadable and sharing it via a file share platform like Dropbox or Google Drive. I myself have several retired courses living on a course platform that I'm still paying for. (laughs) I don't update them. They're not running live, but everyone has lifetime access to them. So I am responsible for maintaining that access. One of the projects that I'll get to someday uh, is to move them all to a downloadable format and send that to the students so I can close the classroom. 
Lifetime access used to be a big selling point online, but it decreases completion rates, which means that your students aren't getting results, which means that they've they've wasted their money, right? And it puts a burden on you to maintain that access, even though you're not being paid for it. So it really is a lose-lose, in my opinion, at this juncture. It's very much worth noting, though, that while this kind of offer can work, it will also command a much lower price than something that does offer support and feedback. And that makes sense, right? Uh, but I think that in addition to rarely being the best thing for students, it's often not actually the best thing for creators. I think they're hard to sell and hard to sell enough of to make the money you really want to. Um, the people who have very robust kind of self-study course programs, honestly, very few of them are running them that way anymore. Most of them have moved to a model where there is more support um, or where there is some kind of membership or group coaching program upsell. Like the focus isn't on that course anymore. But I do think they can work. And I think where this model really works is when it needs to fit in with other revenue boosting programs like cohorts or memberships, right? So my ideal for this to do some kind of self-study program would be a front end, low cost introduction to your work so that somebody is um, ready for your more robust offers. You can also think of this as the 101, right? What do they need to know? What have they needed to already done in order to be ready to actually work with you more intensely? Courses that teach creators how to make courses, which is usually just them teaching them how to sell courses, and ethically negligent passive income strategies like to act as if a self-study course or digital product, even at low cost, is going to generate revenue on autopilot. I'll be honest, I have never seen that happen. As I said, unless someone already has a very large audience, and even then, it's usually not actually self-study. There's usually some other components happening. So yeah, but as part of a sales funnel, as part of the beginning of somebody getting to know you, I do think this can work well if designed to prepare for more robust offers. And I think especially right now, heading into kind of economically challenging times, this can be a powerful way of doing things as long as you have a plan on the back end to get folks to actually commit to the programs that will get them the better results. So finally, let's talk about memberships. I don't mean to be so down on self-study courses. I just think that pedagogically and financially, I think they're a wash. <laughs> so I'm kind of, I'm just kind of over it. But memberships, um, a membership can really be anything where customers keep paying to get the thing you're providing. I want to kind of break us out of this idea that a membership has to be something like super specific. Folks often think of a membership as a low cost program where you just put a bunch of stuff or keep making a bunch of content and hope people stay. Like I see really common that people will make a membership that's just like a collection of their old courses. And it just feels like a place where content goes to die. It's just like, it's just a weird, it's just, yeah, it's, it's like charging for access to your archives. Or you just keep making a lot of stuff, right? I have a lot of conversations with people where they are stuck on this content hamster wheel, just making new content every single week to hope that people stay. This is actually not really a membership. Uh, that's closer to a very overwhelming Patreon model, in my opinion. Um, a proper membership, first of all, can be at any price. And I work with clients that are from like $9 to I think $300 a month in their memberships right now. And then I have other people that I have worked with where they're running really high level programs as memberships. A proper membership, yeah, can be at any price. But as I said at the beginning of this episode, it has to be developed to help people with a specific outcome. It is not a place to just put your shit. If what you want is for people to um, help fund your work on a book or an album or some other projects, then Patreon or a Kickstarter style uh, model will be a good fit. Um, but if you're trying to run an educational program or to facilitate an experiential transformation for clients, then you need a proper membership. 
And that does not mean creating random new content every week. We'll talk about program design probably in a later episode. As our membership accelerator clients know, I can talk about this for hours. I'm completely obsessed with program design and pedagogy and creating programs that actually get people results. But for now, the key is once again, transformation first. What does your member need to experience, learn, or do on a monthly basis to move them towards the result that they are seeking, right? We need something that they are taking action towards on, like, I mean, it could be weekly, monthly, but like on a recurring basis to validate that recurring payment. We also need to break out, as I said, of some assumptions of what a membership is, um, especially that it's inherently cheaper entry level. A year-long group coaching program or mastermind is a kind of membership if it's a program where people will benefit from renewing for another year. So this is how I view the membership accelerator. Um, it has a lot of the cohort style aspects, but without the cohort or the set end date. Um, people purchase a year-long membership access and then have the opportunity to renew for continued access after their first year is up. This is different than the launch incubator program I mentioned, where um, people renewed. We often, we often had people rejoin to do it again, but it still had a clear start date and end date for everyone involved. And um, even though I offered it, it wasn't like the reason to do it again was not because of the way that we're developing the program. In this case, you know, due to the price point and the nature of the program, I don't run this as an automatic subscription. I think, to be honest, that would be a really annoying fee to just roll through. Um, but we do expect a fair number of people to renew. Um, so I approach it like a membership and we'll continue to add new content and benefits for our clients in the program to improve their experience and their chances of success, right? I'm continually developing the program. I'm already making new additions um, before we reopen the doors for applications in a couple weeks. And that lets me, because I know that if folks want to keep accessing it, that I will get paid for my labor and my experience. Um, it's easier for me to make it up to date and to make it the best possible program it can be. So a course can be a membership too, when the feedback, coaching, and support is necessary in an ongoing manner as students learn and attempt to apply the information. In this way, memberships start to replicate a real classroom model where students keep coming back to keep learning. Yes, at some point they may graduate, uh, but while they are actively engaged in acquiring new skills and experiences, they will need that ongoing support. This membership model of courses solves the problem of lifetime access that I mentioned earlier because access is tied to ongoing payments. It also solves the problem of you, the founder, and your team not being properly compensated. You wouldn't take a single payment for a private session and then keep providing more sessions forever, right? If a client wants to keep seeing you one-on-one, -on -one, they would keep paying. This model is ideal when your time or your team's time is involved in coaching calls, feedback in an online community, etc., because time is not scalable and you need to be consistently paid for that time investment. So these three examples cover the primary considerations when figuring out how to best facilitate the transformation that you provide. They also worked really well together. Most online education businesses have multiple offers, so customers can take a course to learn something discreet, right? And then grow their skills in a membership, for example, or learn the basics in a membership over time and then add on intensives and workshops to go deeper. An online education or coaching business, it should be integrative so that there's a holistic view of how the different offers fit together and clients at different stages of their journey know exactly how they should be working with you. 
This is why uh, actually inside the membership accelerator, I'm adding an entire module or mini course. I haven't decided how I'm going to put it together yet about building courses and group programs that work with a membership, kind of the, the mindset behind this and how to apply some of the program design things that we have to these other kind of models and then how to make sure they actually integrate together, right? So that these tools are solving different problems for your customers and together they create a robust business model that properly facilitates different educational experiences that actually meet the needs of your customers while protecting your energy and labor, right? When we do this properly, it is a complete win-win. Your clients get better results and you have a more sustainable and supportive business. We are opening applications for the Membership Accelerator next week. I am so excited. If you're listening to this live, I guess not live, you know, when released. <laughs> if you're an established business owner who is committed to growing a sustainable online education business, I want you to go ahead and get on that wait list over at holisticbusinessacademy.com or by clicking the link in the show notes. The Membership Accelerator is rooted in this idea of recurring payments for recurring access. Again, so that we have the ability to really give clients exactly what they need. Um, and build this ecosystem that is fully integrated as an online education model. Um, so regardless of whether you decide to get our help in achieving that goal or not, I hope this episode has clarified how to approach your offer, when to use those different kinds of educational models, and some of the challenges that need to be addressed. I'm sorry for all the, uh, the self-study course haterade, but after making online courses for years and having like nearly a th over a thousand people go through my programs, yeah, I'm just kind of over it. <laughs> So I hope this has been helpful for you. I will see you next time and definitely go and get on the wait list over at holisticbusinessacademy.com so that we can make sure you're the first to know when you can apply for the membership accelerator and grow that sustainable, scalable membership business and have your integrative online education business. It's going to be great. All right. I'll see y'all later. Thanks for tuning in to the Holistic Business Podcast. Learn more about growing your holistic business by visiting us at holisticbusinessacademy.com. We'll see you next time.